First they think you're crazy, then they fight you, and then all of a sudden you change the world. Berlusconi flatly denies that any mafia money helped him begin to start the dynasty. I have I've always had a thing for black people. I like black people. I'm telling you, these stories are funnier than, than the jokes you can tell. And I said, what the fuck is a brain scientist? I was like, that's not a real job. Tell me the truth. But anyway. Uh, in five, four, three, two. Hello, welcome back to Grubstakers, the podcast about billionaires, distorted Windows operating system sound effects. Welcome to the first Patreon episode. Premium, baby. Yes, this is the good stuff. The first one behind the paywall. This is where the dirt is. This I is- love having the support of real billionaires. As our uh, faithful paying customers, I will reveal the dirt I teased on the free episode. Oh, yeah. This is crucial information uh-huh. and comes from people with direct contact to Bill Gates. And Bill every- Gates is a serial yes. pedophile. <laughs> no. If you type this in. Into- the recording cuts. <laughs> no, serial pedophile doesn't make sense. Serial gun- child molester is, but pedophile is a state of being. Gun- gunfire off, Mike. <laughs> If you type this into Word, red lettering shows up automatically. So, so I'm just letting you know this is some high-level dirt. Bill Gates, this is a true fact, back in the day had some of the worst dandruff of all time. Oh, Bill Gates had terrible dandruff. It's a secret that most people don't know, and I could be killed for this information, ladies mm-hmm. and gentlemen. And that's why I'm only releasing this on the Patreon premium content. He, he put that out there to distract from his time on Jeffrey Epstein's <laughs> Island. <laughs> But yes, I guess we should mention this is one, our first premium episode, so thank you for listening to this and uh, supporting what we're doing here, and two, this is part two of our Bill Gates episode. Thank you for giving us money or caring enough to steal this. (laughs) Either way, we're happy you're here. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I can announce now that uh, I will be giving $5 a month to the Bernie Sanders campaign. So if you subscribe to uh, this Patreon, you are giving Bernie $5 a month, and if you get us I to the two twenty-seven dollar donations, if you so give us, I'm if already you, ahead of you, Sean. If you get us to the ten thousand dollar a month level, I will give Bernie Sanders fifteen dollars a month. Whoa, whoa, whoa! So, if you want Bernie Sanders to be president, you should subscribe to this Patreon. <laughs> I love having the support said, of real billionaires. <laughs> I realize I'm talking to people who have already subscribed to the Patreon, <laughs> but tell your friends. And Didn't you know, we tell them that if they paid, you'd start pronouncing it right? <laughs> in, the, in a court of law, maybe. <laughs> that was a vaporware. We used the uh, the Microsoft strategy. I announced that I was going to start saying things right, and then I never did. All right, let's get into the dirt, ladies and gentlemen. You're here for the good stuff. Part two of Bill Gates. Um, uh, so where we left you off... Wait, we should introduce ourselves, though. Yeah, they know who we are. Sean McCarthy. Yogi Powell. Andy Palmer. Steve Jeffries. All right. Uh, so part two of Bill Gates, where we left you off uh, last time on the, the previous episode, was essentially in the 1970s. Bill Gates, is work, Bill Gates and Paul Allen are working for this com- company, MITS, which made Altair, which is like the first personal computer that doesn't really do that much. Right. But, uh, you know, they write the basic program that allows it to be kind of operational. I guess it's like an operating system, but not quite an operating system. It allows people to... 
uh, they put basic into a computer so, and it allows people to write their own programs and actually use a computer, but it's still not an operating system. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, like we mentioned on the last episode, uh, this is around the time where they did the uh, split. And actually, the number is Bill Gates took 64% of the company and mm. gave Paul Allen 36%. Only our premium listeners get the true details on the dirt. He so. Did. Okay, so I've been doing uh, a we, lot we of... We give a, a lot of fake information on our free episodes. <laughs> yeah, if you don't pay for our podcast, we'll make you sound misinformed in front of your friends. <laughs> by just saying a bunch of lies. Now, I, I kind of did some deep digging for mm-hmm. this premium episode, and I looked into about uh, as much as I could about Bill Gates, uh, the history of Microsoft. You know, I found every possible source uh, I could dig up uh, even I had to go to the Seattle Public Library just to to find some documents you can only find there. And what I've uh, come to uncover is that Bill Gates is a pretty great guy, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just just doing his best out there in the world. And uh, that's been the Premium Grub Stakers. I'm Andy Palmer. <laughs> you think it's ironic that Paul Allen's um, library could be considered a cancer on the Seattle skyline? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's not really visible on the skyline, but let's say it's well, architecturally cancer. I saw the TED talk for the guy who designed that library, and it was just him <laughs> bragging. And he's like, "People said that it's a shitty library, but like, it has everything a library's supposed to have. <laughs> it's got books and librarians. It's got it's got a place for people to like hang out, and then it's got." It's got places, and it didn't mention is that it's got metal chairs that screech if you adjust them slightly, <laughs> and also the most nauseating uh, spiral stacks that you could. It's it's a very claustrophobic for something made completely of glass. It's completely claustrophobic. It's ugly as hell. You definitely um, have to walk a long way to find books you need. Yeah unnecessarily (laughs) yeah because it's a maze in the ted talk he went on like and another thing that episode of game of thrones was lighted appropriately (laughs) it was not too dark (laughs) um that joke is already old (laughs) i know well (laughs) that's why we put the good stuff behind the patreon five dollars a month for uh jokes that were made on twitter three weeks ago Uh, but so, so we're in the late seventies in Bill Gates's career. Yes. That is his tyrannical rule over the technology world. So it's him, Paul Allen, and they have a couple employees at this point. They're primarily working for, uh, uh, MITS and this Altair computer, but they are also making their basic operating or not quite operating system for other of the, uh, uh, personal mini computers that are springing up. And MITS is getting real pissed off at them and they're like, Hey, stop it. Uh, you're in violation of our agreement that says that you can't do that. And uh, Microsoft said, fuck you. Yeah, essentially in Paul Allen's book, Idea, man, uh, he talks about how uh, MITS market share wrote it. Ed Roberts, the MITS guy. (laughs) Is is the idea, what if we made the ugliest library anybody (laughs) has ever seen? But Uh, only after we make the ugliest museum anyone has ever seen. Uh, where I know it might look like absolute shit on the outside. I'm talking about the Experience Music Project in Seattle by the Space Needle. Mm-hmm. It may look like absolute shit on the outside. Mobile pop now. But it's mm-hmm. even worse on the inside. <laughs> it's completely uncomfortable. <laughs> Nothing is inviting about it. 
Uh, and then we'll take that and use that as inspiration for a shitty library. Mm-hmm. Essentially. Um, but in 1977, basically, Ed Roberts was trying to sell the company MITS to Pertech, a Southern California manufacturer, and they thought they're buying the rights to BASIC. That's what right. Ed important. Roberts essentially said. And, and sorry, we should just mention, so MITS, uh, Altair, is the first of these mini computers, and uh, he kind of gets into, Ed Roberts is the founder, he gets into this on kind of a gamble where, like, his other business, I thought, I forget if it was calculators or something like that, but it, you know, there's too much competition. Yeah. So he gets this idea for, you know, a personal computer. Right. And so he's the first, you know, that's like way too much demand. He's actually making good money. But as, of course, as soon as he does this, a ton of competitors spring right. up. So now he's like kind of in a, a rock and a hard place because he has all these other competitors coming in. So he's trying to sell the business. And as Yogi mentioned, this company, Pertech, buys it. And they think when they buy it, they are also buying BASIC, you know, right. the, the code. And at this time, the the Ed Roberts canceled two-third of our third-party sales. Mm-hmm. And so that, then at That's this point... Paul Allen talking. This is Paul Allen from the book I- Idea, man. So at this point, they were... Guys, frozen. Yogi read a book. Hey, guys, I'm really proud of myself, okay? <laughs> That's um, what you get for the premium, is Yogi read a book. I read a book. That's right. <laughs> I can read... I'm imagining like walking. <laughs> Yogi learned to read for the premium. <laughs> I'm imagining walking through Paul Allen's library for three hours trying to find his book. <laughs> Where the fuck is it? <laughs> this is an architectural nightmare. So at that point, they're frozen out of their main source of income. So then they essentially pony up with a lawyer. And basically, this lawsuit that takes a couple Wait, of months. So- let me just stop you. The Pertec buys it, and then a court says... No, no, no Pertec has, has not bought it. They're trying to buy it, and the MITS Pertec are, are filed for arbitration to terminate the MITS contract with Paul Allen and Bill I Gates. Yeah. So essentially, there's a court injunction that stops yes. Bill mm-hmm. Gates and Paul Allen from selling the thing, and this is around 77. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so... And also, MITS uh, kind of slow on paying the royalties yes, for basic. Yes. This was another part of it. Go on, Andy. No, that was it. Okay. Um... <laughs> And so, basically, the paperwork that Bill and Paul drew up for the contract with MITS, Ed Roberts didn't really look through. In November, seven long months after the process began, the arbitrator handed down a 12-page decision. The special clause in our contract, those papers that Ed never checked, had made all the difference. The testimony was undisputed that MITS never really embarked on what could be considered best efforts in marketing the source code, the decision read. By vetoing our sublicense sales, MITS slash Pertic materially breached its best efforts obligation. So the ruling was a total victory for Microsoft, according to Paul Allen here. And essentially, at this point, they were uh, absolved for their contract previous to MITS Pertech and now could really do whatever the fuck they wanted to. Right. I got the loot, Steve! <laughs> <laughs> That's, of course, the excellent movie Pirates of Silicon Valley, where uh, Bill Gates describes uh, how, <laughs> how he got the loot to Steve Jobs. <laughs> um, it, it, actually, yeah, there is a, an interesting tangent at one point. Um, Around this time, they uh, were trying to sell BASIC to uh, a couple of uh, little fuck-ups in their garage who were building a computer. Mm-hmm. And um, so they call up, I think it's Steve Wozniak's mom or something, and they get Steve on the phone, or Steve Jobs' mom. They're mm-hmm. living with someone's mom. True. And they get Wozniak's. <laughs> They get Wozniak on the phone and they're like, hey, uh, do you want our special basic for your new special Apple, whatever the fuck? And Steve Wozniak was like, no, I can knock that out over a weekend. (laughs) Uh, But then he couldn't. And they actually had to come back with their tail between their legs and and buy it off of uh, Microsoft. Right. Mm. 
Steve Wozniak calls him up. Uh, yeah, Bill, do you still got the loot? <laughs> I got the loot! <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so like Yogi said from that contract, we mentioned this on the previous episode, but again, this is important. Uh, Bill Gates and Paul Allen, the contract they have with MITS, there's a, uh, to, to provide basic for the Altair PC, there's a clause in there that essentially says, uh, MITS is going to make all good faith efforts to promote basic, um, on other computers. And because that clause is in there, when Pertech buys it and tries to, uh, uh, claim basic it's thrown out and right. so bill gates and paul allen win this court case in like 77 78 and now they're home free yeah at the time paul allen was not sure if the lawsuit would go their way and in the book it even says bill gates like bill gates says i talked to my dad and he thinks we got a good shot which is like the most like mm-hmm. rich kid logic i've ever heard yeah i think bill gates's lawyer dad wrote up the original contract too or I at least help so, yeah. help them with it <laughs> yeah. yeah so when they terminate that contract that's for 1977, that's most of their annual revenue of $381,000, mm. and wow. they have a headcount of nine employees, nine just to employees. give some pers- perspective yeah. on early Microsoft. Mm-hmm. And this is where they begin to start working everyone to the bone, essentially, including themselves. Um, they're in their mid to late 20s at this time, and they want to conquer the world, and yeah. that is what they set out to do. Yeah, there's like, um, from Bill Gates' time at Harvard and also from this time, there's just basic uh, descriptions of him being able to like go 36 hours without sleeping and then just kind of like crashing in a corner or just in the middle of a room or something. So, and you know, he's kind of a workaholic. And like from this point, um, I believe it's like not until he gets married in 94 that he takes a vacation. Right, like, right. You know, more than like a week or so. Um, Before all so, that, though, after this contract with MIT is dissolved, they essentially go to Japan a whole bunch to sell their products. And the Japanese market was extremely competitive, but they definitely learned from the Japanese uh, competition to I- implement it into their deal with IBM mm-hmm. that happens a few years later. Paul, how do I say I got the loot in Japanese? <laughs> well, I don't know. It's all right. That, that's in every contract. That's, that's what they call a sanity clause. <laughs> you can't fool me. There ain't no sanity clause. <laughs> For $5 a month, you can listen to the Marx Brothers. <laughs> um, it definitely would have been better earlier, but I couldn't find it in time. <laughs> that was great. Uh, but so, you know, and so what really happens is IBM comes in. And um, I'm not sure if there's anything else we should get to before we go to IBM. Well, before IBM, I just want to believe, briefly mention the uh, Xerox Group Park. Sean, what does it stand for? Oh, uh, Palo Alto Research. I don't know if it's corporation or something like that. Whatever. Anyway, they, uh, a head researcher there gets a blank check to make essentially whatever they want. And they create what would become the modern computer, Ethernet, and a few other things. The and mouse, right? The mouse is also developed there. And Xerox is like, these ain't printers. <laughs> <laughs> and so all of their efforts kind of go unnoticed at the time. But mm. because uh, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and Paul Allen and Wozniak are connected into the computer world, they know about Park, and then so they witness uh, the devices that they're developing there. And Paul Allen literally goes, uh, this is the future. This is what we need to be working on. Now, uh, what was the, the source for Paul Allen... Uh, noting that those things were the future and him being right. <laughs> uh, it's this book uh, called Idea, man. And who wrote it? 
uh, Paul out. Okay. <laughs> okay. Just checking. <laughs> just checking in. And I, uh, uh, I do like the irony in, in Xerox being mad that people copied them. <laughs> <laughs> there was a, there was another thing uh, where they did start to realize they needed an OS. And so they noticed that Unix, uh, which I think was also developed by, I don't know if it was a government or a university, but um, they decided that they were going to take Unix and then sell their own version of it and call it Xenix. Mm. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. With an X? Uh, with a Z. Okay. All right. Yeah. I don't know if it was an X-E-N-I-X situation. Actually, maybe it was an X-E-N-I-X situation. <laughs> Tech nerds love Zs and Xs. But, um, but yeah, so this is the late 70s, and then it's really 19... So. We mentioned, you know, all these competing personal computer, mini computer uh, companies are springing up. And in fact, this is where the name Microsoft comes from because it's software for microcomputers, right. you know. And part of the um, reason that they saw the um, the Unix thing as a good idea and then later um, uh, CN slash M or something like that. CM. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, slash D. CP slash yes. M. CP slash M. Uh, is that they had to, whenever they put basic on a computer, they basically had to tailor it to that computer. And I think uh, I've seen CP slash M on the 4chan. <laughs> <laughs> that came later when they were developing with 4chan. What's the M? For? 4chan. <laughs> it's for, for mobile devices. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Eddie. What were you saying? Uh, so, yes, they started um, using operating systems that. Basically, because they realized you didn't have to, every time they got a new customer, which was someone who made a personal computer, uh, they they started, they, they had to tailor make their code to work on that computer. Right. Mm-hmm. And so they had, they wanted something that they could just apply to all computers. And that's what, how they kind of drifted over to the OSs. And also there's, you know, the trends were changing where people... Um, started to want to use a computer and not just with the code that they put in the computer, mm-hmm. but use like code some that somebody already wrote. Like mm-hmm. you know, it was it was drifting away from the hobbyists and more towards people who wanted to actually use computers for their own purposes without right. having to learn all the code. Right, and um, and so IBM is getting into this market because you know we mentioned MITS. All that Holocaust money dried up. <laughs> <laughs> MITS makes this breakthrough, and of course, at this point in uh, American history, IBM is the giant. In fact, uh, Department of Justice, uh, the United States government attempts to break up IBM. It's like, uh, according to the book Overdrive, this is called the Department of Justice's Vietnam, <laughs> because they spend like 12 years in court trying to break up IBM, and eventually they, you know, get almost nothing, you know, and then of course IBM gets eliminated by, Mi- or not eliminated, but heavily uh, displaced by Microsoft anyways. Right, right. Um, <laughs> uh, but so IBM has this idea in 1980, uh, 79, they want to make, they want to get into this computer, personal computer market that... Um, that all that MITS and these other smaller companies have been in, and of course they are the dominant American computer company. So this is very significant because, you know, they just have infinite financial firepower to really drop a PC onto the uh, market right. in 1980. What kind of hours would you say that the um, these uh, uh, IBM people work? <laughs> uh, uh, f- fourteen eighty-eight. <laughs> I mean, like, what, what time would they start? Like, nine, would you say? <laughs> nine to uh, five? What can I 
Yeah, more like 5 a.m. That's the sound of your fan base costing you $600,000. Shouts out to Nick Mullen. Um, But yeah, so uh, IBM, they come in and they want to get this thing going. And it's significant because we we mentioned this on the last episode. uh, Bill Gates' mother um, is sitting on the the board for United Way. I do not understand how Nick Mullen could focus on acting when he's got this cool ass soundboard in front of him. <laughs> Sorry, go on, Sean. More like 5 a.m. Yeah, more like 5 a.m. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know... It's Imagine it making, like, thousands and thousands of dollars from it, or thinking you're going to from just saying those words, and then having it ripped out of your fingers by your fans. Who's going to run on the Super Bowl? Yeah. Yeah. But I like uh, the idea of um, IBM workers (laughs) being made to work until 5 (laughs) a.m. And it being like kind of a charming thing that they put in an ad and sing about. (laughs) Almond Goth, you want to clear out the ghettos at 6 p.m.? Yeah, more like 5 (laughs) a.m. There's no one better. Um, okay, so uh, IBM, you know, and, and this is a major news because, again, major financial firepower going into the personal computer all of a sudden. 1980, IBM PC hits the market, changes computing because, com- you know, now everybody can have a personal computer. Right. But how does Bill Gates get the contract to make the operating system for Hard IBM? work, bootstraps. Yes. Determination. Being smarter, being 100 billion times better and smarter than you are, than we are. 20,000 lines of of code. 10,000 hours. (laughs) (laughs) More like 5 a.m. thousand hours. (laughs) Uh, He didn't badmouth them on Twitter. Oh, man. We missed the alternate universe where uh, Nick Mullen is worth $100 billion. (laughs) (laughs) Because he had to make tweets about IBM and the Holocaust. (laughs) Um, So, the thing is, as we mentioned, on his mother's side, Bill Gates has a very rich family lineage. Her great-grandfather is, you know, this uh, uh, major banker who um, founded a a significant bank in, um, in Seattle and probably left Bill Gates a $1 million trust fund. So Bill Gates' mother is, you know, like a, a, a lawyer, but also a socialite where, right. you know, she's on the board of this United Way charity organization. She does like, you know, rich people philanthropy. Um, and it's significant because at this time, you know, late 70s, early 80s, the chairman of IBM, a guy named John Opel, is also on the board of uh, United Way. And so at this time, IBM is, you know, they want to get into the PC market. So they're sniffing around. They need an operating system. So uh, John Opel is speaking to Bill Gates' mother, and he mentions that they need an operating system. And she says, hey, my son has a company that did, you know, the basic, not quite operating system, but it has the software. So, of course, it's like, oh, cool, the son of this woman I'm on a board with has an idea, so I'll send somebody from IBM out there and see if they can get us an operating system. Right. 
And this is where I believe Mrs. Gates <laughs> goes downtown with Mr. Opal. A lot of ass play. In fact, mostly ass play. And more importantly, she Forrest Gump fucks the shit out of Opal until he goes, your son can have the IBM contract. This is the kind of content, content you can only get on the Patreon. That's people. right. That's right. So much, suggesting so much butt licking, they shut down the post office. On the Patreon, we suggest that Bill Gates' mother fucked the chairman of IBM <laughs> to get him the contract to make the operating system. That's right. Bill Gates Sr., a cuck, ladies and gentlemen. This is the content you paid for. You know what noise uh, Bill Gates' mother makes when she comes? Huh. <laughs> How's that for Freudian? <laughs> Bill Gates is like speaking to the audio department like, yeah, there was this uh, this sound I heard coming from the other bedroom when I was a child. Um, I don't know if you could replicate that. That's the sound. That's the sound. Immediately starts crying. Right, right, right. <laughs> uh, but so, yeah, IBM, um, uh, the chairman, John Opal, speaks to Bill Gates' mother and it's like, oh, cool. Your son has a uh, company that does software that's, you know, op- like an operating system. Maybe they can uh, contract out to make us an operating system for this IBM PC. So the actual story is um, somebody from IBM goes down to Microsoft. And and they already kind of had their foot in the door. Like they were talking with one of the like planning guys uh, about maybe like working with Microsoft for this thing. But it the 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 guy had even told them like you know i'm a planner most of the things i do never see the light of day mm-hmm. and so this w- was already something that was on the fence and it was kind of uh, mary gates kind of maybe opened the door a bit more oh she opened that door all right <laughs> <laughs> oh that door was wide open when miss gates came through also uh just right prior to the ibm uh invitation um, they had organized into they reorganized Microsoft into a privately held corporation with Bill Gates as president and chairman, hmm. and Paul Ellen as the executive VP. Mm-hmm. That's right. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Incorporated in Washington. Right. So, what time do, or when do they move from New Mexico to Washington? Does that come later? Or is that now? No, that, that that's already happened. That's already happened. Yeah. So that and happened like after like seventy seven, seventy eight. Yeah. yeah. Right. So they moved from New Mexico to uh, Washington. Later, Redmond. Initially Bellevue, I think. Yeah. At one point, they kicked around the idea of going to Silicon Valley, but Bill was like, "Nah, dog, I fuck Silicon Valley. I see what that does to people. Let's go back home." They're like, "Let's." They, I think they decided on Redmond when um, they had a brainstorming session to be like, "Where can we go that really sucks <laughs> that no one will want to be if they work here?" What I, is I wanna just? Go, I want to go to a place that looks and feels kind of normal, but there's clearly something smells bad. <laughs> Let's have zero walkability, um, and if we take off, everyone can drive expensive cars and just clog up every intersection in this uh, ridiculously overcapacity, whatever. I worked for Microsoft for like a year and a half as a vendor. It sucked ass. Hmm. Yeah, so I like the idea of living in Silicon Valley, but if we do that, how are we going to be able to run over bald eagles with our Porsches? <laughs> Wait, Andy, when you worked for Microsoft and it sucked ass, what were like the hours that you had to deal with? Well, um, <laughs> I usually came in at about 10 because I was pretty lazy. and then Did you work you know, 9 to 5? No, no, it was closer to like 10 to 6. <laughs> 
Let's move on, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but so the actual story of, of DOS is, is kind of interesting to me as well, because it's like he gets this connection from his mom, Mary Gates. Uh, well, there's it, a connection there. All right. <laughs> I was going to say the other thing from this book, Overdrive, is like throughout like most of his life, because he lived in Redmond, he would like see his parents once a week, which is nice. You sure. Know? Right. But I, I was just imagining he like moved to Redmond because he wanted to be able to like be in the room when his mom fucks the IBM chairman. <laughs> 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 he wanted to listen in. He was <laughs> We're saying it behind the Patreon. We have no no fear of lawsuits. Bill Gates watched his mom fuck the IBM chairman yeah. through vo- and recorded his voyeur porn. <laughs> they'll, they'll never figure out paying us five dollars a month. <laughs> We'll give them access to incriminating content. Look, Bill Gates can't afford. <laughs> no one's to, ever to, going to repeat this to pay, outside of the paywall. <laughs> to pay five dollars a month, he can't afford it because he's spending all of his money on this charity. That's right. That uh, the richest man in the world, worth a hundred billion dollars, is uh, definitely getting rid of all his money right now. I love having the support of real billionaires. Um, but yeah, so it, it's interesting where it's like. People would. I think. I think if you didn't know the story, you would just assume that Microsoft DOS was written by Bill Gates. Right. And the actual story is no, no, he did not write Microsoft DOS, because um, Microsoft DOS is, of course, the operating system for the original IBM PC, and this is how Bill Gates becomes a billionaire. Because, of course, the major PC or computer company in the United States, IBM. They released the personal computer, their personal computer, 1980. This, you know, dominates the market because they have the marketing and other mm-hmm. financial firepower to, to get it to dominate the market. Mm-hmm. And of course, Bill Gates wrote the operating system for it and was smart enough in his contracts to be like, no, mm-hmm. I'm not letting you see the source code. I'm going to own that. And so this is how he becomes a billionaire. But, you know, people would assume that he did this by actually writing the code. And, and he did not. Even at this early stage in 1981, mm-hmm. their revenue had grown like something like 50% a year. <laughs> yeah. It was like, uh, well, average up to like 1985. And they're already at 17 million in revenue with just 129 employees. His, his mom was fucking the IBM chairman that good. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I hit it, the stock price goes up. (laughs) It's one of their main products. (laughs) One of their main products. In their 10K. Was pimping out Bill Gates' mom. In their 10K, it's like, uh, what would they call that business line? I don't even know. Uh, The combat zone. (laughs) There's a... There's a hidden API in DOS where you can fuck Bill Gates' mom. (laughs) Oh, fuck. We're going to get sued for this one. Then it's followed up by a pinball game. <laughs> Bill, Bill Gates sues us, but then he drops the lawsuit because he doesn't want to go through discovery and admit that people were actually fucking his mom. <laughs> <laughs> we have the documents. Oh, my God. Um, so, DOS. But so this is interesting because... Because IBM goes down there, they want to get DOS, and uh, you know they say to Bill Gates, "Hey, can you get us an operating system?" And he says, "Oh yeah, of course." And I think he actually suggests at one point this guy Gary Cadal, who's apparently wrote the CP slash M operating system. Uh, but like, I don't know if Bill Gates did this on purpose or not. But for whatever reason, the guy was on vacation at the time, 
So, you know, they like went to him, but they couldn't get in touch with him. And then they come back to Bill Gates. So he says, yeah, of course I can get you this operating system. But, you know, Paul Allen and Bill Gates realize we can't write an operating system in time for right. for it to be ready. So they go to this company. Um, what is it? Seattle Computer. Yeah, Seattle Computer. And they buy DOS from Seattle Computer for $50,000. where that company was and what their products were. <laughs> Uh, so they buy DOS from Seattle Computer um, in uh, 1980, I believe, for about $50,000. And it's interesting because I mentioned this guy, Gary Cadal, um, who wrote the CP slash M uh, operating system. Uh, he dies a mysterious death in 1994 when he fell in uh, somewhere in Monterey. Uh, but it, it's relevant because he, before he died, he wrote a memoir. Mm-hmm. And they quote this in the book Overdrive. Um, he wrote a memoir where he says DOS, which Bill Gates and Paul Allen just bought for 50000 He says it's a ripoff. He calls it a, quote, clone of his CP slash M operating system. <laughs> so it's just kind of a funny thing where it's like not only did Bill Gates not write the thing, but he bought a thing that was a ripoff to begin with. <laughs> And um, from this memoir, I have a bit more of Gary Cadal talking about Bill Gates. Uh, He says, (laughs) uh, Gary Cadal says, quote, I have, (laughs) he says, I have grown up in this industry with Gates. He is divisive. He is manipulative. He is a user. He has taken much from me and the industry. And he also says, to the, quote, to those who know the industry, Gates' DOS was a blatant misappropriation of proprietary materials. So that is the story of how Bill Gates, through hard work and 10,000 hours, created the DOS program by uh, dipping into his trust fund and getting $50,000 to buy the... First they think you're crazy, then they fight you, and then all of a sudden you change the world. They, they say it takes $50,000 to really make it. <laughs> <laughs> The uh, the sequel to Malcolm Gladwell's book, but um, but yeah, and so this kind of this this position, you know, like Steve mentioned, you know, just by virtue of being the operating system on IBM PCs, Microsoft is all of a sudden a very dominant company. Yeah, and so like at this time, um, like the IBM PC sales are exploding, and they're doing meetings all around the country. And apparently, in the book, Paul Allen talks about like they would do meetings with different clients when they would travel. They wouldn't do, be together, Paul Allen and Bill Gates. Mm-hmm. But uh, Bill Gates would always show up late because he's driving way too fast and didn't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. And Paul Allen was at the airport, and he thought the flight took off, and he's like, "All right, whatever." And Bill Gates showed up, and he's like, oh, "Fuck that noise!" and runs to the jetway and like starts looking at the control board just pushing buttons and Paul Allen is like uh what the fuck we're gonna get arrested and then the air traffic person is like sir please stop pressing buttons we'll, we'll bring the plane back so you guys can get on your flight so the ruthlessness of Bill Gates is that he was able to barge in through an airport run through the jetway and hit to the control board and start just mashing random buttons to get on his fucking flight and the reason they were so late is because uh, or they weren't quite there is because Bill Gates liked to wait until the last second and then um, he liked to speed as fast as he could to get to the airport. Right, right. The reason they were so late was because uh, Bill Gates had to drive home the chairman of IBM after he was done fucking his mom. <laughs> <laughs> but he, you're saying he went up into the control tower? No, he went into, like, you know how in, like, the, the, the tunnel to the plane, at the end, there's a whole bunch of buttons to move it. Oh, He did yeah. what we all want so to do, but we're not billionaires. He wanted to drive the... the Yes, the, the, the tunnel. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the umbilical thing. Correct. Yeah, 
that's, that's amazing to me. I mean, that happens in 84, so it's like before he's like a famous guy. I mean, he's like somewhat rich at this point. I but mean, actually at this time, because of the PC sales with IBM, the media did start to notice Bill Gates as the Microsoft player, and they started using him as the face for the company. So like, he's not necessarily a celebrity, but the media knows about Bill Gates. Did this person at the airport? I got no fucking idea. This genius nerd thought of using $50,000 to buy an operating system. <laughs> At this point, he's and and like the that thing with the the um, jetway, like it's really the same thing as Donald Trump and the truck, like right, pulling right, the right. horn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a thing where the rich guy's like, I want to do a manual labor thing with a big with a big machine that yeah. looks fun. I think he just didn't even respect anyone. Where he's just like, oh, oh yeah, no, I that that like, as well. And he probably ran into the plane or some shit. Right? Yeah. yeah. Wait, imagine, I'm just imagining like being on a plane and already being late to like make your connection at the next airport, right. and then it starts like taxiing back, and then this fucking bowl cut nerd gets on, <laughs> and just take him into the airplane toilet and dump him in there, give him a swirly. Yeah. So apparently, when the um, first IBM computer came out, um, and it came out with DOS, uh, one of the things that they included on it was a game uh, called Donkey, where you're in a car driving up a street. There is just two lanes, and you switch between them, and donkeys come towards your car, and you have to dodge them. And if you hit a donkey, it'll make like a squealing noise, and you lose. And the the points are like donkey versus car. (laughs) And apparently it was horribly coded with like brute force coding. And, And eventually when this computer came out... um. Apple, like, you know, burst it open to take a look at it. It had way more parts than the Apple computers did at the time, uh, which isn't like an endorsement. It was just... And then they started playing Donkey, and when they found out that Bill Gates was the one who coded that game, they all just, like, burst out laughing. (laughs) (laughs) And that was, I think, the second to last time he ever coded anything. Hmm. Yeah. Well, he said... Even today, he says he codes a little bit. I don't buy that, really. Yeah, I mean... uh, what what what's he gonna do? <laughs> like, I don't know. so we're up to about 1983, and this right. is where Paul Allen finds out that he's got uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma, and is still working at Microsoft, but according to Bill Gates and Steve Ballmer, not working hard enough. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, we forgot to mention on the previous episode, but Bill Gates meets Steve Ballmer at Harvard University. That's right. So Steve Ballmer joins the company as well. Yeah, and oh yeah, he uh, they, they Steve Ballmer introduced Gates into a finishing club, which if you remember the Mark Zuckerberg episode is something that he never got. Um, what but club? What club? It's it's a like an upperclassman like elite club where you it's where they all finish on each other. Yeah, yeah, you jerk off on each other and butt chug, and eventually you run the world. Um, you know, one of those things at Harvard. Where do I sign? And so, so Balmer's connection. The, the finishing on a biscuit club. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? Like Gates had to like strip down to his underwear at MIT and explain a code thing or something. It was one of the initiation rituals. At it, MIT? Or yeah. At yeah. Cause it, you know, Harvard, it, it was yeah. like oh, a rival. Near, yeah. Oh, I, oh, at MIT. I get it. I get it. Yeah. He goes to Harvard and then MIT's the rival. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, all kinds of dumb shit like that. But that was kind of how um, Balmer and Gates got into each other's orbit. So I guess uh, Balmer was basically like Gates' drinking buddy. Yeah, essentially. Balmer's main claim to fame is that he can keep up with Bill Gates' 
uh, tenacity to argue and just kind of be a dick. <laughs> like, and Paul Allen sensed this in this book. Paul Allen's like, the first time I met Steve Ballmer, I thought he looked like an uh, undercover agent for the MKPD. <laughs> so it's like, Ballmer just reeks of fucking creep douche. And at the time when Paul Allen uh, is diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, he's still working, but not hard enough. And he overhears Steve and uh, Steve Ballmer and Bill Gates discussing uh, liquidating the, his uh, Paul Allen shares and essentially kicking them out, which is something happened to Vern, which was uh, another employee of Microsoft that was higher up. And they oh, did- Vern Funk? <laughs> yes, Vern Funk. Honk, honk when you pass by Vern Funk. <laughs> uh, for our Pacific Northwest listeners, you're welcome. Um, but basically, Vern left and jumped to Lotus in apparent violation of his com- employment agreement. So they bought all his shares for $3 a share. And Paul was like, fuck that noise. I want $10 share. And Bill Gates was like, no way. But had Bill Gates said yes to that, he would probably be worth maybe like $200 billion right now. Like the <laughs> amount of money that uh, Bill Gates uh, lost in this, that basically Paul Allen's net worth outside of the money he spent on uh, the te- sports teams and, and various ships and building. What I, everything Paul Allen did, Bill Gates could have had that money. Mm. So at this time, though... Military museum. Yes, precisely. So in February 18, 1983, Paul Allen's resignation became official. And at this point, Paul Allen goes from like you know being Bill's right-hand man to, I don't know how long I'm going to live, so I might as well just spend money on cool shit. And the rest of this book is literally him just being like, and then I did this cool thing, and then after that, I did this cool thing. The... Experience Music Project was literally caused by cancer. (laughs) I think we can all agree Paul Allen, to a certain degree, is just a rich hoarder, and the EMP was just where he stored all of his shit. I'm just imagining that pitch for, like, some uh, stop cancer research, like, because of cancer, Seattle has the Experience Music Project. (laughs) This isn't for how just, the, the Make-A-Wish Foundation is supposed to work. For just $10, you can put a stop to this tragedy. You can keep this from happening in your city's <laughs> World Fairgrounds. Wasn't he, he's kind of like Wozniak, isn't he like a hippie sort of like quasi, quasi-progressive? Uh, in the book I'm reading, they keep on saying he's a rock fan. Like there's a picture of him and... Um, Bill Gates sitting at a computer and they're like, Jimi Hendrix fan, Paul Allen. Right. And he just has long hair in the picture. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is that like, you know, the the MP, you can, it's understandable. Yeah. It's it's design. Like, you know, Paul Allen is 29 when he gets Hodgkin's lymphoma. So he's around the age that some of us are in this room. So if you learn that you could die in, in any moment because of this disease at this age and you had access to millions upon millions of dollars, you you just wouldn't give a fuck, really. There's stories of Paul Allen when he's like was doing construction on one of his houses. The neighbors got mad because it was too loud. And they're like, hey, could you cut down the noise? And he's like, hmm. Nah, I'm just going to buy your house. <laughs> and just bought their house and gave it to his sister. <laughs> so, Paul Allen don't give a fuck. <laughs> Sorry, Paul Allen didn't give a fuck. Rest in peace. I do like how his response to his neighbors being annoyed was to annoy his sister. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> well, so yeah, where we're going from here, and again, I don't have this don't research as much, so it's kind of on you and Yogi Andy. But essentially... They have this operating system dominance, and then they move into applications. Excel, right. you know, um, Excel, Lotus has this one, two, three program. Yeah. I um, talk about this for a little bit. Yeah, so let's go into this because Yogi's okay. got, Yogi's got uh, personal. Right, we should set it up. He's doing it right now. Okay. 
All right, sorry. So Yogi's got personal experience with Excel uh, because uh, your dad made it. Yes, he was uh, on the team that was original in... Don't in, be modest, your dad invented Excel. He didn't invent Excel, but he was on a team that made... Uh, uh, your dad the built the prison that office workers... Okay, must <laughs> yes. He built the cage, ladies and gentlemen. If you're um, uh, if you're listening to this at your office job right now, <laughs> and one of your tabs open is a uh, Microsoft Excel, and you're thinking, "Man, this is such a waste of the gift of human life to just run these average and some functions day in day out, and it really doesn't make any goddamn difference." And uh, I'm per- paid a small infinitesimally small percentage of the money I make for other people through this tedious monkey work. Which uh, you get to see how oh. much money goes through your company and doesn't go to you through <laughs> the figures on the spreadsheet that you're crunching right now. When, when you're looking at those uh, P&L statements showing how what's a small percentage of revenue is actually cut off and given to you, and while you're fantasizing about the fact that you could be traveling the world at this moment, that you only get... 70 some years and you're going to spend the majority of them dealing with this program you can thank one of our co-hosts that's right yogi polywell so yeah because because of your suffering we've got a when we record this we have a nice view of the brooklyn and manhattan Mm -hmm. skylines i mean i don't see what's wrong with this guys i think that i think that nothing wrong has happened and i think honestly i'll shut this podcast down if you talk any more shit So because of uh, because of our privileges of birth, we get access to dirt like uh, Bill Gates has dandruff. <laughs> uh, that's pretty big dirt, John. You Something Google- no one could have guessed about him. <laughs> you Google Bill Gates dandruff, you won't find anything. Your computer pa- shuts down immediately. How many new patrons did we lose as soon as you were like, here's the dirt. He had dandruff. The truth about Bill Gates. <laughs> Everyone's like, that's the only thing I knew about him. What, what's this about Microsoft? <laughs> I thought it was just the dandruff guy. I mean, he is to ne- to our Patreon listeners now. So uh, at the time, uh, most accountants used Lotus one, Lotus One Two Three, and mm-hmm. the keystrokes of Lotus One Two Three were were adopted by the community that was using their software. And so, oh, I, I got it put in a uh, Lotus One Two Three based on VisiCalc. Oh, really? Which was invented by what's his name, uh, Patter- Patterson, Tim Patterson. Yeah. So there you go. Tim Patterson. He made it. Got it. Yeah. So basically, uh, one of the things my dad did was he uh, uh, clone. Uh, he did not. He he created the code to uh, make the keystrokes of Lotus One Two Three work with Excel. And when they were going to ship Office, um, the lawyers at Microsoft were like, "Hey, let's ship it with like a little card so people can get access to Excel." But then if Lotus sues us, we'll know how many people have Excel. And Bill Gates was like, fuck that noise. And he asked my dad, hey, did you clone this or did you create it from scratch? And my dad's like, oh, I created the keystrokes by scratch. And they're like, all right, great. So we reverse engineered. Yes, precisely. And so Bill Gates was like, great. We're going to ship it with Excel and we're going to start uh, doing research on a counter lawsuit on Lotus because they've stolen some shit from us too. <laughs> so that is uh, one of the instrumental things that happened while, uh, during my time, dad's time at Microsoft. And then he added, and then in... Uh 2012 we're going to still sell the exact same product for about three hundred dollars a license yeah all we're gonna do is add tabbed browsing (laughs) and we're gonna increase the price by 20 percent. at that point my dad left the company so i don't know what's going on there anymore no i'm kidding 
Um, well, he I did like, leave at that point. I like the idea of Bill Gates talking to Yogi's dad and then ending the conversation by being like, okay, great. Uh, so I got to go uh, drive the IBM chairman to fuck my mom now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, the so weirdest part is she was long dead. Oh my god, she did die in the same 94. year that yeah they got, the, they got married. Yeah, um, okay. but we're not in the nineties yet. Not the IBM. You'll know when but, we're in the nineties. But but this is an important point here because it is the eighties that Microsoft makes the transition from because of their IBM contract they have a dominant position in the operating system because they are doing the operating system for the uh, the the most uh, prominent and ubiquitous personal computer, the IBM PC. But Bill Gates, you know, essentially they're smart enough to start doing illegal monopoly tactics right. and realizing that uh, the government culture has changed enough that they will not be uh, seriously reprimanded for doing so because they have this operating system and they realize we could make a bunch of money if we have applications as well. Instead of, you know, we mentioned Lotus doing this kind of Excel-style spreadsheet. If we do a spreadsheet, we could get that money. And, you know, there's another software called WordPerfect at the time. And if we do Microsoft Word, we could get that money. And because we have the operating system... Um, we'll make Word good enough. Yes. Yeah. Because they have the operating system, they can, one, uh, sell this shit heavily subsidized because they can, like, you know, lose money or just break even on their other products. But, you know, say another company like Lotus... They don't have this operating system revenue, so they have to charge a higher price. Yeah. So they, you know, on that side, they can undercut their competitors on price. But also, like, there's a lot of uh, discussion about essentially ways that they kind of favor um, their uh, applications over their competitors. Like, uh, uh, well, it begins the embrace, extend, extinguish strategy that we mentioned in the first episode. Uh, they they looked at the applications that existed. Uh, adopt them into their their OS and, and Office uh, suite, and then extinguishes the competition. Right, and so I, I don't understand this too well, but I'll just read you a Wikipedia definition of um, APIs because Microsoft has been accused of hit, hiding APIs in their uh, their operating system. Um, so Wikipedia says an API is an application programming interface. It's a set of subroutine definitions, communication protocols, and tools for building softwares. Um, in general terms, it is a set of clearly defined methods of communication among various components. And the idea here is that they'll have these hidden APIs in you know, DOS and Windows and these other operating systems that the Excel programmers and the Microsoft Word programmers, they know about, but the WordPerfect and the Lotus programmers, they don't know about. So essentially, like... Um, Microsoft admitted hiding, like there were like 16 APIs that were hidden that Excel and Word uses. Um, I think this is for Windows 3.0. But, but essentially the idea here is that um, Steve Ballmer at one point gives an interview and he talks about how there's like a quote firewall between the operating system and the application side. Right. And Bill Gates says later like, no, that's ridiculous. There was never any firewall. <laughs> so the idea is that because they have this dominant operating system, they have an advantage on the application side. And throughout the 80s and 90s, they're really just exterminating all the other application softwares. Right. And that's also why they're so... Um uh, protective of their source code mm -hmm. um, because if you know the source code of, of Microsoft operating systems, you can kind of, you know, figure out what APIs you don't have access to. Right. Yeah, I mean, essentially, they they are using the loopholes. They're finding loopholes to create new things for their company, but then making sure to cover their tracks when they release it. Yeah. So we're now in the nineties. The 90s, you say? Oh, yes. The decade of 
the most entertaining, the most peak of capitalism, if you will. Mm-hmm. Friends, Wu-Tang. All right, come on now. SoundCloud can't take us down. <laughs> <laughs> We're on Patreon, bitch. Yeah, that's a good idea. Let's, uh, instead of fucking with our uh, free audio provider, let's fuck with our paid audio <laughs> provider. You know, the one giving us money for making this podcast. But yeah, Fine. so. What's the worst that can happen? Courtney Love kills us? But so from Don't the, do David, it too. No, David Geffen. <laughs> Essentially, by like the end of the 80s, Bill Gates is, you know, a Microsoft IPO is 1986. Uh, Bill Gates is, you know, a billionaire by the early 90s. And uh, we mentioned, you know, they're going into the application side uh, and they they start a lot of, let's say, anti-competitive business practices in the 80s, continuing into the 90s. Right. Uh, Like one example uh, uh, the book Overdrive gives in 1987, uh, there was a a Pascal compiler. It was like a programming language, Pascal. There was a compiler. Pascal. Pascal called. There was this uh, Turbo Pascal compiler announced Uh in 1987. So Microsoft, uh, another anti-competitive strategy they have is called Vaporware, where this uh, compiler comes out and Microsoft immediately announces, we're going to release a better one next year. And then it comes out like two or three years later or whatever the case may be. But the idea is essentially... Well, that was like their Windows 3.1 or one of the Windows versions apparently was considered the original Vaporware because they kept on taking like years to release it after announcing it. Right. And, And the idea with Vaporware is essentially like... If everybody's on the Windows operating system, uh, you know, they're going to be hesitant to switch over to the competition if Microsoft is like, hey, in three months, we're going to have a better product out that works better with our software or whatever the case may be. Or, you know, in three months, we're going to have a cheaper or better product. And then they just kind of like keep people from moving away from their proprietary software through um, lying. but so, you know, 86 is the IPO. And here's the truth. Windows isn't better. Now, let me tell you about this webcomic called User Friendly. <laughs> um. But so they're pursuing these kind of... But so they're pursuing these kind of various anti-competitive uh, practices throughout the 80s. And by the end of the 80s, you know, IBM even realizes, you know, we created a monster here because, you know, Bill Gates has set up a, a very dominant position through his uh, dominance of operating systems. This is definitely the worst thing we, IBM, have ever done. <laughs> <laughs> And it should be noted, uh, another thing that, that happens through this time and continues until, you know, DOJ uh, sues Microsoft in 1998 is they set up these deals with uh, what are called OEMs, Original Equipment Manufacturers. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, these deals are kind of anti-competitive because Microsoft uses its share in the marketplace to essentially say that anybody who actually manufactures um, PCs uh, has to pay Microsoft a, a license fee based on the number of computers they sell, regardless of whether a Windows license is included on them. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, anti-competitive because essentially all these OEMs, and because Microsoft is the dominant operating system, they have to kind of go along with it. All these OEMs uh, are paying Microsoft for their PC operating system, whether or not they put Microsoft on the thing. So it's like if you want to put a competing operating system on it, well, you're already paying for Windows, right. so why would you do that, you know? And so Microsoft is, is very much able to use their position in the marketplace to strangle all competing operating systems and uh, in the cradle, as it were, you know? And, uh, and so this kind of, like, takes you through the 80s, is 
by the end of the 80s, Bill Gates and Microsoft are the fucking Goliath in the software industry. And bringing us to the 90s, essentially, like, you get two major stories are the government tries, but not really, to actually enforce the Sherman Antitrust Act, which is, of course, more than 100 years old, and Microsoft is at this point... And completely out of date. (laughs) At this point, in blatant violation of it, because there are provisions about restraint of trade. He even said, like, in in some interview, he was like, yeah, you know, I think it would be a good idea to just, like, get a monopoly. (laughs) And, like, later, like, that would be shown in, like, as evidence, and it's like, oh, shit. (laughs) Oh, and apparently, this is is one thing before we skip too far ahead. Um, Once he, once Microsoft started taking off, um, Bill Gates started to do, like, an interview circuit. Yeah. And on one interview show uh he was asked so when did you know that you first became a millionaire and he said well you know because microsoft stock is mostly employee owned you know (laughs) it was hard to tell (laughs) yeah and apparently like microsoft employees who were watching that just burst out laughing (laughs) because microsoft is a socialist workers cooperative (laughs) yeah (laughs) i actually Think of myself as only the first employee among equals, <laughs> not actually a man worth $100 billion. <laughs> you know, if any employees want, they can just have my money. <laughs> None of them have ever asked me. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, you know, and, and so the, the two big stories of the 90s uh, with regards to Microsoft are this antitrust thing, which, which I'll talk about a bit. But and also, Outlook. Yes, the Internet. Um, no. <laughs> Outlook. Well, what's the story with Outlook? Uh, you know how like you can uh, check emails in like a web browser? Right. Yeah. Well, Outlook's a program you can do that in. <laughs> when does Outlook launch? Oh, I don't know. Okay. I just know it's. I don't think it sucks. has yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's still Failure booting up. Launch. Also in the 90s, he gets married in 94. Yes. Uh, he's been dating this oh, uh, Melinda since uh, 87. She was 21 and he was like 32 then. Um, and they got three kids, Catherine, Lindsay, and Rory, I think. Uh, Catherine races horses against Steve Jobs' daughter, Eve. So, you know, fucking rich kids love riding horses. If you want to fuck a rich person, find some place where they ride horses. Yeah, you want to meet a billionaire's daughter, just go to a stable nearby. <laughs> Apparently that's all they do is, like, the women become horse girls, and I guess the guys just become, like, frat douches. Mm, yeah, or they run the company and run into the ground. Either yeah, or. Yeah. Oh, uh, you know what? It says that Microsoft Mail uh, and later Windmail launched in 1990 mm. with Microsoft 3.0. I'm sure Windows 3.0. I'm tired of tilting at Windmail <laughs> software. www.whatthefuck.com. <laughs> oh, and also <laughs> Russian. <laughs> the Russian version. <laughs> the Russian version of MS DOS 4 went to the Soviet market. I do like how we're uh, entering the 90s with uh, Andy on the ones and twos. <laughs> That's like a fucking breakdancer DJ. <laughs> this is what you pay for, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Um, but so, you know, by 92, the book Hard Drive is, is written, and that's really, it's actually later cited in an antitrust case against Bill Gates, because it goes through, you know, some of these anti-competitive practices we mentioned. But by 1992, you know, Microsoft has really overtaken IBM. They are the dominant player in the uh, the computer industry. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll kind of get into a little bit more. Uh, we have mentioned about how they work their employees to the bone, you know. Like, Yogi, when you were growing up, was your dad gone for long periods yes, of time? Yes, yes. And, like, I'm not, like, 
listen, I, I have a very comfortable life. So no part of me is like, man, my dad worked a lot. But yeah, growing up, there was a uh, whole heaps of time where uh, I didn't... Uh, I didn't see my dad except for late at night and then early in the morning. But did you, did you and that's how you, you get a podcast co-host. You had ball games where you looked into the stands and you, <laughs> there and you realized, well, it's fine because I mean he's making Excel. No, I wasn't able to play in ball games. I wasn't fast enough as a runner. <laughs> oh, that doesn't matter in baseball. Well, it did when I showed up. Okay. Yogi has a heart-to-heart with his dad where his dad's like, I'm sorry, son, but I had to fuck Bill Gates' mom <laughs> to support our no, family. You know, it, it's very interesting because, like, as a... Oh, my God. Andy, these dials are so fucking annoying. <laughs> um, but, like, as a kid, like, uh, the interesting thing was, like, you know, the company your parents work for doesn't seem like the monolith that Microsoft becomes and is. Mm-hmm. And so when I was growing up, like, Microsoft was just fucking Tell loaded. Me about it. My mom worked for this this small company that turned out to be the Washington State government. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, you Bill know, Gates owns that, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bezos has a share. <laughs> you know... Growing up, Microsoft uh, was, well, the interesting thing was that, like, they would put on, like, company picnics that would be balling out. They would do, like, um, Halloween parties where you would show up at a Microsoft building and then trick-or-treat at each office. Hmm. So, like, even the kids are getting the spoils of Microsoft's uh, riches at that point. And, like, I think the most intriguing thing is that the school I went to, Eaton School, uh, fuck them forever, uh, all of us were kids of parents who worked for Microsoft that were brought in from around the world. And so, essentially, the school was like, we have to deal with these kids that are, are like, their parents don't really know like what the American school situation should be, but they're willing to give us an ass load of money for education because of proximity. Cause it was just the closest school next to the Microsoft campus. So it just was convenient. And so, um, the education we received was very odd. If that makes any sense, it was very like you kids can do whatever you want in the world because your parents are who they are, but also <laughs> your kids are super cool. I mean, it was, um, it wasn't like liberally hands off and like they just gave us good grades. It was, um, it was difficult and ruthless at times, but to our parents, they're like, we don't know what the fuck these kids are doing basically. I just like knowing that Yogi went to a private school called Eaton named after the, uh, English private boarding school oh, <laughs> where, uh, David Cameron had sex with a pig. <laughs> I guess he did that at Oxford or Cambridge or whatever. Yeah, they're all related. Oh, that there was a black mi- a black mirror about that. Hmm. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they predicted the future with that. If you send your children to a private boarding school, they too can start a podcast. <laughs> um, but I guess to to close out this part, and then uh, we'll continue on the uh, the final part with uh, the uh, sure, the Department of Justice antitrust actions against Microsoft, Bill Gates missing the internet, and then maybe a little bit about just like what he's been doing since he left Microsoft in 2006. Right. Um, but to close out this part, Yogi mentioned he got married, and it is just kind of an interesting story. Uh, uh, you know, how he actually meets his wife is... Um, he marries Melinda French. She was she was uh, walking to the university library, and she dropped all of her books and bumped into a gangly <laughs> freckle face uh, pile of dandruff. Who immediately said, "That's the stupidest thing I've ever seen." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but so Melinda French. And this was before uh, people knew that negging was just a cheap <laughs> tactic. <laughs> 
But so uh, we'll wrap it up this week by just uh, talking about Bill Gates getting married because it is uh, an interesting story. Um, so Melinda French, joins, she gets an MBA. She joins Microsoft as a manager in 1987. By 1988, she's uh, dating Bill Gates, uh, but she stays at the company until they get married. <laughs> so it is just kind of a funny thing in this book, Overdrive by James Wallace. Like other employees talk about like, yeah, you know, we never really felt like, or I guess her friends talk about, you know, there was never any favoritism towards Melinda Gates. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like other employees are like, yeah, we, we just kind of didn't talk shit about Bill Gates to her. <laughs> Listen, Melinda French learned from Bill Gates' mom how to move ahead in this world. Mm-hmm. But so uh, <laughs> the the interesting thing that I wanted to mention here from this book, Overdrive, uh, Bill Gates... Uh, is it is it considered not favoritism because Bill Gates had that bad dick? <laughs> Bill Gates had a bit of a, uh, let's say, poly lifestyle. And uh, from uh, the book Overdrive, I'm just going to quote here. Uh, Though Gates began dating Melinda French in 1988, he continued to play the field for a while, especially when he was out of town on business, when he would frequently hit on female journalists who covered Microsoft and the company industry. His womanizing was well known, although not well reported, because Gates and Microsoft spoon-fed stories to industry writers for papers such as the New York Times, and none of them wanted the flow of information to stop. They also didn't report on the wild bachelor parties that Microsoft's boyish chairman would throw in his Seattle home for which Gates would visit one of Seattle's all-nude nightclubs and hire dancers to come to his home and swim naked with his friends in his indoor pool. How long of a shower would you take (laughs) after you go... If, if you're a journalist uh, and you have to interview this fucking nerd and he starts hitting on you and you can't just like leave because your company is, it needs him to fucking spoon feed all this info to them. And so you have to sit there while this nerd hits on you and you're trying to just get your article out there. Andy, do you have the sound effect of the reaction of a female journalist when Bill Gates hits on them? <laughs> no, it was the other one. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, but so, oh yes, and then just kind of continuing. I got the loop, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> he said as he left Rick's strip club in Seattle. <laughs> yeah, people don't realize that Seattle during this period was a much more sleazier place. It, right. Uh, Actually, though, Yogi's right. The fucking major strip club there, I think it was Rick's, was uh, mafia Jiggles? owned. Oh. No, there's. They made it up to Seattle. What? They oh, made yeah. it up to Seattle. Oh, yeah. yeah, there was like yeah. a. I mean, they they lost it eventually. I don't know exactly the story. Starbucks, but, Giuliani. Yeah, but there there was a mafia owned strip club or Rick. I think it was it was either Rick's or Deja Vu was. Yo, it's not mafia that hard. owned for if, a time. If you look at Seattle's history, it's literally riddled with prostitution, strip clubs, and mm. like. Just uh, listen. We, yeah, like we, Bill Gates' mom. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, we, see, Seattle was a place where it was a mix. It was a mix of all of Hollywood's dirt mixed with like labor practices shit from all the uh, uh, beaver and log cutting industry, all wrapped up into like a Las Vegas like situation. The with original Seattle. Skid Row was Yesler Way because they would skid the logs down it. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. But uh, according to the book, French was well aware of Gates's womanizing, and consequently their relationship ran hot and cold. But finally, in you know 1994, he mostly settled, cold. <laughs> he settles down and marries her, which is partly because uh, his mother had, um, I believe, cancer. Yeah. But uh, breast, cancer. breast cancer. Breast yeah. <laughs> cancer. And his mother was encouraging him to you know settle down. 
And so he does. He marries uh, Melinda French. But weirdly enough, um, one of Bill Gates' exes uh, was like a, a woman who worked for a venture capitalist firm. And they were like close, but Gates and her broke up because he didn't want to have kids. But they like stayed close. And like, I believe to this day, he still like will spend like a week a year with her. Or yeah, something, he will. <laughs> which is, I mean, I don't know if they're actually doing anything, but you know, I respect the. Uh, the level of commitment to that all-powerful dollar that Melinda French puts up with her husband <laughs> just chilling with her his ex for a week out of a year. I've heard some reports that the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation started mm. because she found out about his womanizing ways after marriage. And she went, listen, you can stay with me or you can get a divorce and lose a lot of money. So how about you just fund a whole Damn. bunch of charities? Is that true? No. <laughs> we're, we're, we're just asking questions. <laughs> I was going to say that Bill Gates... Like earlier in the episode, I was going to say that Bill Gates is now the richest man in the world again because he knows how to keep. I think I did say that he knows how to keep his dick in his pants, did, but yeah, turns out no, he no. he just this this was Andy believing the propaganda that Bill Gates' <laughs> dick stays in his pants. Uh huh. Yeah. That man slangs that dick. Oh, there must have been a prenup. Yeah, but so Bill Gates marries uh, now Melinda Gates in 1994. They get married, interestingly enough, on our Larry Ellison episode. We mentioned Lanai Island. That's At this right. point, it was owned by a um, another billionaire, which, you know, future episode about. Because Lanai, you know, 99% privately owned Hawaiian Island. So it's fascinating because it's mostly privately owned. So uh, Bill Gates makes clear that any reporters who show up on the private island are trespassing on private property and will be arrested. And one reporter is actually arrested and thrown in the jail overnight and uh, later sues Bill Gates and it's settled. But essentially they're like, you know, arresting reporters to keep them away from the wedding. Um, did, did you get any numbers on the settlement? Uh, I don't know, no, unfortunately. Oh. But probably, it, it was probably out of court. It was is, a, is it more than a plane ticket to Hawaii? <laughs> <laughs> I would hope so. It was a Bill Gates salary. Plus legal fees? One (laughs) dollar. But uh, one other interesting uh, insight into Bill Gates' character from this book, Overdrive. Apparently, Bill Gates had Steve Ballmer approach his wife, Melinda, about the prenuptial. What? (laughs) (laughs) Which, like, man, that's that's your hatchet, man. (laughs) Having those conversations you don't want to have with your wife. That's the difference between Bezos and Gates. I think, <laughs> I think Bezos got married before he got super rich. Yes, yeah. yes. So there wasn't the prenup. No. But Gates. But Bezos also doesn't have a hatchet man like Bomber who can fucking accept the the fucking uh, 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 the pride swallowing tactics of cleaning up Gates's dirt left and right. Mm-hmm. Well, um, and so that brings us to uh, Gates's marriage, and uh, we'll wrap this one up here. Uh, we'll do one more part, uh, which we'll just kind of go through the the antitrust. The Department of Justice goes against uh, Microsoft with uh, Microsoft missing the internet, and then maybe we'll just talk a little bit about what Bill Gates has been uh, doing today and some of the uh, labor and other practices of the company, practices <laughs> such as a. Uh, uh, doing facial recognition technology for the Chinese government so that they can spy on uh, Uyghur Muslims and put them in camps, technology such as multi-million dollar contracts with ICE to uh, deport people, uh, you know, multi-billion dollar contracts with the Technology Pentagon. is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so that'll be on uh, the part three, which will be a final part of our uh, Bill Gates episode. But hey, thanks for listening. Uh, and and with, with that, I'm Yogi Pollywall. 
I'm Andy Palmer. Steve Jeffries. I'm Sean McCarthy. Give us five stars on sound, on iTunes. Thanks. This is amazing. But not just amazing. It's historic. It should be taught in all the history books. I mean, hung and framed in the National Gallery or something. Because this is the instant of creation of one of the greatest fortunes in the history of the world. I mean, Bill Gates is the richest guy in the world because of what started in this room. <laughs> you want to know what else? wasn't exactly smoke and mirrors, but we didn't have anything. I mean, not a damn thing. Here we were, this two-bit little outfit telling IBM we had the answer to their problems. The DOS, the disk operating system, to make all those zillion IBM computers compute. We didn't remotely own anything like what Bill was selling. Not zip. They call me Bill Gates, and they know the money real. They want to know my name, I tell them Bill Gates. My name is Bill Gates. I'm chairman of Microsoft. And during 1984, Microsoft expects to get half of its revenues from Macintosh software. Wow.